0: Our family car had no air conditioning. I'm not asking you to pull out the violins and feel sorry for me because I'm not complaining about this. I just want to give you an idea of what this experience was like. In the summertime, in the late 1950s, when our family would go on vacation, that was not an easy trip to make, at least from my perspective as a child. Going all the way from Bridgeport, Illinois to Palestine, Ohio, so we could see the grandparents and visit with the cousins, man, that seemed like an eternity to me. Because it was this long drive on a two-lane highway, no interstates at the time, at least that I remember. Here was the middle of June, 90-degree weather, and it just seemed like most of the journey we were stuck behind some dirty semi. And I kept wondering, is dad ever going to be able to pass this truck? We had the windows rolled down, the wind blowing in our face, breathing in the fumes of that smelly diesel. And our sweaty clothes would constantly cling to and be stuck the back of the seat. I mean, the heat was just unbearable. And so four kids in our family, they're all in the back of the seat, one ready to upchuck, you know. So anyway, we kept thinking, how long is this going to take? Because you know, as a little kid, 10 minutes seems like 10 hours. So we kept thinking, when will we ever get there? Well, in the midst of all this misery, there was a moment of sweetness. There was a tiny joy that made the trip a little bit, a little more bearable. Because occasionally, alongside the road, there was these signs for Burma Shave. Burma Shave was the lather that my dad would use each morning when he would shave. And they had the neatest way of advertising, advertising their product. Their signs always came in a sequence, about five or six at a time. Each sign was nailed to a fence post about 30 yards apart. And this series of signs would always have a little message to it, a little jingle that was guaranteed to put a smile on your face and create a chuckle in your heart. And always the last sign would read Burma Shave. And the great thing about some of these signs were, some of the signs were even biblical. Does anybody here remember this at all? Here are some of the signs that I remember. Noah had whiskers in the ark, but he wouldn't get by on a bench in the park. (laughs) Burma (laughs) Shave. The whale put Jonah down the hatch, but coughed him up because he scratched. Burma Shave. The bearded devil is forced to dwell in the only place where they don't sell Burma Shave. <laughs> Man, I love those signs, because for a brief moment you fuck, you forgot about all your troubles, and everybody in the car began to snicker and laugh and talk about the silly rhymes. I mean, it was wonderful. God does the same thing for us. Along the road of life, he will put up a series of signs. The Bible calls them promises. And the promises are there to lift our spirits and raise our hopes. I mean, when this journey that we're on, it just seems endless. And when our heart begins to waver, man, am I ever going to make it? God directs our attention to one of those signs, one of those promises. Because he wants us to know, yes, this trip is worthwhile. Yes, you are doing the right thing. Yes, you do have something to look forward to. So stay with it, carry on, remain faithful, keep persevering. Here's one of those signs, one of the promises. 1 Timothy chapter 1, this is a scripture that talks about God's patience, His enormous patience with us. And it is that patience, God's patience, that encourages us to be patient with others. Take a look at what it says. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 says, Here's a trustworthy saying, meaning you can take this to the bank. You can just always count on this. And here is a saying that deserves full acceptance, meaning believe it with everything you've got, because this is true. And here's the truth. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came here to help people like me, even though I'm one of the worst. Or you think of the Apostle Paul, the one who's actually writing this. you remember what Paul was like before he met Jesus? He was a violent man. More like Hitler than Mother Teresa, devoted to ethnic cleansing. Let's eliminate the Christians. They're just a blemish on this planet. Our world would be a much better place without them. One example, Acts chapter 7. Here he is at this point in his life before he meets Jesus. He's most commonly referred to as Saul. And the Bible tells us there, Acts chapter 7, Saul's holding the coats for the men as they're stoning Stephen. And Saul's watching this, and as he's watching this execution, watching this slaughter, he watches with joy. Well, that's one less Christian to have to worry about. This is great. Let's do some more. He's an arrogant man. He's an angry man. He is a religious bully who's devoted himself to pushing others out of the way. But then one day he meets the Lord, and this violent man becomes this gentleman this angry man becomes this messenger of mercy this man who for the longest time looked like and acted like hitler now <laughs> begins to look like and act like jesus i mean it is an amazing transformation and what made the transformation possible the patience of the lord verse 16 paul says but for this very reason i wow i was shown mercy so that in me the worst just the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. Listen, there is no one who's more patient and understanding the Lord. I mean, he is not just patient. He is extremely patient. Appreciate the picture behind this word. This word that the Bible's using here, this word patient, it literally means take a long time to boil. So think of it like this. You take a pot of water, you put it on the stove, and what do you have to do to get that water to boil? You turn the heat up. You put it on high and quickly the water gets all stirred up and begins to pop and boil. But you keep the burner down and the water in the pot never heats up. Patience. Keeping the burner down. That's exactly the way the Lord is. All the way through the Old Testament. You keep coming across this expression. When they describe God, it says he is slow to anger. Slow to heat up, to boil. Why? Because the very next phrase always reads, he's not only slow to anger, but he's abounding in love. You don't pull the plug on them yet. Let's not write them off. Let's give this a little more time. They may still come around. Let's wait a little bit longer. And here is exhibit A of how extremely patient the Lord can be. If he can save somebody like Paul, that means there's hope for everyone. So Paul ends up verse 16 by saying... He says, and I'm an example. If somebody like me can end up believing and receiving eternal life, that means it's possible for everybody. So here is a guarantee from God. Here is how God is always going to treat you. He will treat you not just with patience, but with immense patience. And it is that daily expression of love and encouragement from the Lord that will strengthen our hearts. So now we can be patient with others. James Dobson tells about a mother that he knows and how one day she was sick in bed with a flu and her little girl, six-year-old girl, was concerned about her. She was really feeling sorry for her mom, thinking, man, she's not doing well. What can I do to help out? So early in the morning, the little girl came in to fluff her pillows to make it more comfortable for her. Later, in the, later on in the morning, she came in and brought a magazine for her to read and then early in the afternoon, she surprised her with a cup of tea. And of course, the mother is just overwhelmed by these, all these acts of kindness and oh, wow, honey, you're such a sweetheart today in this tea that you made for me. Wow, this is special. I mean, I didn't know you knew how to do this. Where did you learn how to make tea? And the little girl said, well, Mom, I've been watching you. You know, you put the tea leaves in the pan and you add some water and you put it on the stove, you turn the heat up and you wait for it to boil and then you strain it into a cup. But, Mom, I had a, I had a problem with this. I couldn't find our strainer, so I used our water instead. And, of course, the mother, mother quickly spits the tea out of her mouth and says, What? You did what? And the little girl says, Oh, don't worry, Mom. I didn't use the new fly swatter. I used the old one. <laughs> patience. <laughs> it takes lots and lots of patience to love others and get along with them, to bear up and bear with some of the things they try to do for us, whether that's a neighbor or a business partner or a roommate or that little child who's always eager to help, but sometimes instead of helping, they just kind of get in our way. See, in order for any of those relationships to work, you've got to be patient. So when the Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, love is patient, what does that mean? It means we recognize this life as a journey, and where we are is not where we're always going to be. Our life right now is a work in progress, but in order to make progress, we're going to need help. We're going to need somebody to come along to help get us to where God wants us to be, somebody who's willing to spend lots of time and provide lots of love and care. Just like Jesus in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He saw this violent man just ruthlessly persecuting his church. He saw Saul in all of his wickedness. But he not only saw where Saul was, he could also see where one day that guy could possibly be. He saw how Saul could one day become Paul. How the acorn could one day become an oak tree how the ugly caterpillar could one day become this beautiful butterfly, how the tiny apple seed could one day be an orchard, a whole orchard producing all kinds of fruit. But the Lord also knew this doesn't happen overnight. It's going to take lots and lots of time and lots and lots of patience to bring about that kind of transformation. So when the Bible says love is patient, it means we not only see who they are, but we see the possibilities. We see where one day they could possibly be, and now we're willing to take the time to help them make that journey. Now, let me give you two examples of what I'm talking about. Matthew chapter 25. Listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus said, this is Jesus talking. Think about this. Jesus said, for I was hungry and you gave me. Jesus Jesus said, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. You know, normally we think of the homeless and Wheeler Mission, or we think of the poor people in Haiti when we read a scripture like this, and that's right and true and good. But let me ask you, who gets hungrier than a baby? And who's more naked than a recently born child? And who is more of a stranger to this world than that infant when they first come into this world knowing no one and knowing not one thing about this new place where they now live? And who gets more sick more often than a baby? Ear infections, diaper rash, colic, and the list just goes on and on and on. So, when the mother gladly welcomes that little one into the world and immediately begins to feed him, and when she very carefully begins to cover him with some clothes and a really nice blanket in order to keep him warm, When in the middle of the night she wakes up because that little one is crying and upset and she begins to hold him. And for hours on end she will sit in that rocking chair sacrificing her own sleep and rest just so she can bring some peace and rest to that tiny troubled heart. Is not that mother doing exactly what Jesus is talking about here? Yes. Yes. So parents keep a little perspective in mind. One of the challenges for a parent when you have a little child is trying to feed them, right? You know that little one does not always know or appreciate what's good for them. you know,. Mm, 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 they're not letting anything inside that mouth. And rather than try to pry open that stubborn mouth, which is not very effective and not very nice, we try to be patient. We play airplane. We put the food on the spoon, and we pilot it around doing our very best to get that little one to smile, because once they smile, once we get a little landing, or a little opening, we try for a quick landing, right? And, of course, it's not always successful because immediately the hangar door closes and the airplane's cargo just platters all over the baby's face, which makes the baby cry and drives us insane. We're so exasperated. We're thinking to ourselves, this crazy child, I've got exactly what they need, and they won't accept it. And it's at that moment that we were reminded that love cannot be forced. It can only be offered. And sometimes the offer is not going to be accepted. But here's what keeps us going. Here's what keeps us trying. Matthew 25. You see, later on in this same scripture, Jesus says, whatever you do for the least of these. And there is no one who fits that category more than that little child. So little, so helpless, so vulnerable. Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, know this, at that moment, you're doing it for me. See, you're not just trying to feed that child. You are are serving Jesus. That child is not just your child. This is God's child. he's got plans in mind for them. he not only sees where they are but he can also see one day possibly where they could be if he's allowed to work in their life and guess what you're part of the plan to help bring them to that place so in that frustrating moment when you're trying to help your child whether that's a baby a toddler or even a teenager you're trying to help but they're not cooperating they're not getting it they're not appreciating it they're not accepting it and at that moment you feel so (laughs) unsuccessful but keep in mind at that moment you're not just serving the child, you're ministering to Jesus. So don't just see the child, see Jesus in that child. Now, let's take it from the realm of parenting to the realm of marriage. Here's another verse that we need to keep in mind. This verse is a game changer for me as a husband. It's 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that's what we are. Now, here's what this means for my marriage. Martha is not just my wife. She is also God's daughter. And that revelation changes my whole perspective on our relationship. You know, if you want to get on my good side, do something nice for one of my kids or one of my grandkids. Take Caleb and Abby out for ice cream, or send a gift card to TJ or Sarah, or best of all, be the kind of positive role model who will inspire my children and grandchildren to want to live for the Lord. You do something like that, and man, I can't say thank you enough. My heart just bubbles up with all kinds of joy and gratitude because of what you have done for them. But when you want to get me all riled up? You pick on one of my kids, or you mistreat one of my grandkids, and nothing makes me angrier. What you do for or against, any one of my children, any one of my grandchildren, and it has a profound effect upon me. Well, so it is with God. You see, Martha is not just my wife. She is also God's daughter, his little girl. There is no one who has stronger feelings about her and her welfare than he does, which means this marriage that we enjoy, it's not just about her and me. There's a third party watching everything that's going on. David, are you taking care of my girl? Are you treating her right? Are you giving her the love and honor and respect that she deserved? Are you giving her the kind of affection that will enable her to grow and flourish? You see, God is not just my father, he's also my father-in-law. And every day, with passionate interest, he's watching to see how I take care of his girl. When I married Martha, I didn't just marry Martha, I married God's daughter. And knowing that and being aware of that, Changes my whole attitude. Now suddenly there's a willingness and eagerness here to, to want to be patient and kind and gentle, to want to be very careful in the kind of love and support and encouragement that I offer to because now, more than ever before, I realize I am married to someone very, very special. See, love is patient means you not only see who they are, but you also realize whose they are. And that changes how you feel about them. Do you remember the story that the Bible tells about Samuel? True story. There's this little boy, Samuel, and he's working with the high priest, Eli. And one night, the little guy thinks he hears Eli call him, so he responds. Gets out of bed, comes right into Eli's room, says, yes, Eli, what do you want? And Eli says, I, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Same thing happens three times that night. Three different times. The little guy thinks he hears Eli come, calling, so he comes right in the room. Yes, Eli, what do you want? And each time, Eli says, I didn't call you. And finally, after the third time, Eli realizes what is going on. This little boy, he's not dreaming. He's not imagining things. He is hearing a voice. And it's not just any voice. It is the voice of the Lord. So you can just picture this moment. I mean, all of a sudden, Eli gets all excited, and he sits up, big smile on his face, grabs the little guy by the shoulders, looks him in the eye, and says, Samuel, do you realize what's going on right now? God is talking to you. Samuel, God is calling you. Now here's the lesson. Samuel was at a place in his life where he just couldn't figure out what was going on and he needed Eli's help to help him understand what God was seeking to do in his life. So it's going to be with some of your friends and some of your neighbors or so it's going to be sometimes with your children, your spouse. They're going to reach a point in their life where they just can't figure out what's going on and they're going to need your help to see what God is seeking to do for them. See, life is a journey, and where we are is not where we're always going to be. Our life right now, it's a work in progress. But in order to make that progress, every one of us needs an Eli. Somebody who's willing to come along and help us make that journey. Someone who's willing to spend lots and lots of time, provides all kinds of love, care, and support so they can bring us to where God wants us to be. Every Samuel needs an Eli. So here's the question. Who is the Samuel in your life? Right now, who's that person that God put in your circle of influence so you could help them see God and hear what he's trying to communicate to them? And will you respond? Will you be that Eli? Will you patiently help them make that journey and bring them to where God wants them to be? Let's pray.